do have your Bibles with you, would you open it to 1 Samuel chapter 17? I'm going to preach tonight for the next couple of minutes a message that is called the fight before the fight. The fight before the fight. I would suggest that most people in life is engaged. Everybody's engaged in a fight. I would suggest that most people are fighting the wrong fights in life. The devil doesn't mind us fighting as long as we don't fight the right fights. See, we're so often occupied with fights eh, that we feel like we're, we're making a difference. We feel like we're fighting. We feel like we're striving. We feel like we're working. The devil doesn't mind you working, doesn't mind you fighting, doesn't mind you striving as long as you're not fighting the right fight. But I, I revealed a couple of years ago, I was talking a little bit about it this morning, God showed me a couple of years ago, actually seven years ago when my youngest daughter was born, that if I could win the fight before the fight, the big fight would always sort itself out. So I thought I'd talk about that a little bit tonight. You'll find out what that means. If you're in the uh, book, uh, first uh, book of Samuel, verse 17, um, we're going to read there. Um, I got my English Bible with me, which is good because we're in America. Could have brought my German Bible, but uh, I don't speak that much German. You ready? Here we go. Okay. Now the Philistines gathered their forces uh, for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim. Uh, you make sure you don't put make, mix that up. Damim between Soko and Aseka. Saul and the Israelite assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up the battle line to meet the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Goth, came out and, uh, of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. I have no idea how high that is, but it's pretty high, I think. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale of armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood up and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose me a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. If, but if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of living of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On the hearing of the Philistines word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. What's going on, it's, it's a valley and on one side of the valley is the Israel army full of well-trained soldiers. They got like their best soldiers there. David's big brothers and their friends. They're like Navy SEALs. They're soldiers for real. They're like thoroughbreds. They've been bred to be soldiers. On the other side of the valley is the Philistines and they got like one who sticks out. He, he, he's, he's really big, he's tall and he walks down a little bit on the valley and he hollers, he screams over to the Israelites and he says, hey, we don't all have to die. Why don't you pick a guy to come and fight me? If I beat him, you will serve us. If he beats me, we will serve you. And he did that every day. Basically, he was trash talking. 
When I moved to America in 95, I, I, I found this really, really weird thing. It's called wrestling. It's like a sport, but it's not a sport. It's guys on steroids with way too small Speedos and oil greased in. Who's, there, there's a lot of talking. Like, I like UFC. I've been training UFC and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for a long time. And we don't talk. We just hit. We just try to destroy the other, and then we pray for him if we have to. But we don't talk. And I saw this WWF, I think it's called. There's a lot of talking. And not a lot of fighting. There's no blood. There's no refs have to break him up. There's like overweight truck drivers with long hair, like hugging each other. It's disgusting. There's, there's countries where that is illegal. Goliath, he comes down and he trash talks. His trash talk is so good. All the Israel soldiers, man, they're shaking their legs. They're thinking every day he comes down, he becomes bigger. Next day he comes down, he trash talks, he becomes even bigger. What happens is something starts to grow in the mind of the Israelites that causes him to be undefeatable. At the end of when he's been talking for days and days and days and days, he is now so big. What happened was he projected the fear of what he was able to do upon the Israelites, so they got paralyzed. Before Goliath beat, uh, before Goliath, uh, bef sorry, be before uh, David, thank you, jet lag, before David beat Goliath with fear, Goliath be uh, beat the whole army. Sorry, I'm going to do that again. Before David beat Goliath, Goliath beat the whole army with fear. See, it only took a couple of stones to beat Goliath. But before David showed up with a few stones, Goliath had beaten the whole army with fear. See, that's what happens in life. For so many of us, the devil actually don't have to do anything in our lives. He just has to show up, do a bit of trash talk, and we buy into it. We keep listening to it every day, and he becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and we get beaten by the fear that we project in our own heart by what we hear. See, that's, that's what happens when we don't read the Word of God. We, had, we don't have any antidote to the fear that is being projected on us, so we believe the trash talk, and the fear grows, and we're beaten by the fear before we even engage in the real fight. So there's a fight before the fight, and if we can discover how to win the fight before the fight, oh, I'm feeling good now. We can win every time in life. There's always a fight before the fight. David's brothers, they were equipped to fight. They were trained to fight. They were big steroid special forces guys standing there. But they were so full of fear. They were not able to move in on and, and, and take Goliath down. They never thought of the fact that you don't have to get up close with him. You can get a, bit, a stone and swing it from afar and kill him. It doesn't matter how big he is. The bigger he is the heavier he falls, but they were paralyzed by the fear. You know, fear is a magnifying glass that causes things to look bigger than they really are. 
David's victory over Goliath was a manifestation of the fact that he had already broken up with fear. Tonight, I want you to break up with fear. I'm happy that some people are getting married in a couple of days, but I hope some people will break up here tonight. Not with each other, but I pray some people will break up with fear. Because if you break up with fear tonight, there is nothing that you cannot do that God has called you to do. The only thing between you and the purposes of God is your fear of God not being able to deliver what he promised. But if you break up with that fear, there's nothing that, can, that God can use you for. David beat Goliath because he had already won over the fear. Look here in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, just a few verses further down. It says in verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant have been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear uh, came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it. I rescued. Now he's trash talking. I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it. And I, he could have just said I killed it. But he's really being descriptive on how he killed it. Who loves sheep that much anyway? Who cares about sheep that much? Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and the uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the army of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David said to him, go and the Lord be with you. You got this thing in America here. I just, what Saul says to David towards the end, it's not like a big cheer. When I came to America, I discovered this, this, this phrase that you guys say, God love you. That means you're an idiot, but I'm not going to tell you. It's like, God love you. I mean, you, that's like a Christian way of saying you're an idiot. And this lady, she kept telling me she loved me. God loved me all my time. Then I figured out what it was. She didn't like what we did in youth ministry, destroying the event. So I just figured out, God love you. That means you're an idiot. And that's pretty much what Saul tells David. David says, I'm going to take him on. I'm not afraid of Goliath. I've already paid my dues. One time he says, I was watching some sheep and the lion came and I stood in front of the lion, between the lion and the sheep, not because I love sheep, but because the trust I was carrying that was given to me from my father to watch over his sheep. I was ready to put my life between the lion and me. I'm not scared of Goliath. See, if you don't win the victories that God puts in front of you, you're never going to be able to take the big victories that you will have to win in order to fulfill your calling. If you run away from the small battles, you're never going to be able to win the big battles. See, David, he's already paid his dues. David, he said, I broke up with fear a long time ago. First time a lion came, I made a decision. I'm not bowing to fear. So David approaches Goliath without fear. And Saul and David's brother, they just can't understand how he can do that. They just don't get him because they look at it from a perspective of fear. I wonder how you look at your problems today. I wonder how you look at your mountains today. I wonder how you look at your, maybe your sickness today, your unemployment, the challenges in your marriage. Are you looking at it from a point of fear? Are you looking at it as a person who says, I've already defeated the devil once. I can do it again. God was faithful then, so he's going to be faithful now. Thank you very much. If that is my water, I will love you from now and forever. All right, so 
Just a few things about fear that I've learned. Fear would paralyze you. Number one, fear would paralyze you. Something about fear that is paralyzing. See, I have, well, I, I have uh, when, I, when I came home from America, I'd been going so hard. I actually had an infection in, in my heart. I had to go to the hospital. I was there for two weeks. I, I had this virus on my heart. So I was laying there for two weeks. Man, I was, oh, I think it was, it was 25. I got home. You know, like I was single. I ended up in this hospital, and all the, all the nurses were like models. I'm just telling the truth. I'm laying there in Swedish hospitals, and all the, all the, all the nurses are like models. And, and I'm thinking, this is great. And they've got this red button here. And, and I, I'm thinking, when I push that, they all come running. So I'm pushing this model button, and I'm, every time I push it, there's models coming running at me. I mean, it's like incredible. I'm like, I'm loving that hospital. What's it? Yeah, man. So I'm, I'm laying there, and I'm pushing that button, and the models come running. And I go, man, praise God, man. Don't heal me too quick. I can stay here for a little while. I keep pushing that button. Hey, 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 can I have a coffee, please? <laughs> yes, uh, would you mind joining me with a, for a coffee? Not? All right, well, thank you for the coffee. Then I pushed it in. Can I have a sandwich? Hey, could I have a remote? I, I don't know. Could you change the channel for me? There's an itch on my back. Could you scratch it for me? Second day, this lady comes in. She might have been a model 200 years ago, but now... She's not a model anymore. And she tells me this red button is not an ordering button. This is not a hotel. If you, are not, if you press, press that button one more time and you are not dying, I'm going to personally throw you out of this hospital. And I said, man, you're a mean lady. <laughs> so I'm laying there. I get better. I get well. A few years go on, Gary Clark, Pastor Gary Clark, Pastor of Hills in London, he's in, he's in town. This is a few years ago. It's embarrassing. I'm going to tell you the most embarrassing story. I'm, I'm just getting as honest as I can about how pathetic I am here tonight. I, I, <laughs> I'm driving him, and I'm, I got a cold. I'm feeling sick. I'm very stressed. Like, I've been working overtime. I feel not burned out, but, you know, like sometimes you have a season in life where you feel very tired, and, and man, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling good, and I'm looking at my hands, and my hands are turning blue, and I'm like looking at my hands. What's going on? This, and it's like the devil is starting to tell me there's something wrong with your heart again. There's something wrong with your heart, even though they said you will never have a problem with your heart again. I'm thinking, man, I'm so cold, and I'm trying to get my hands going. And I'm driving Gary, and he's a little bit scary. So I didn't know him that well at the time. So I'm just driving, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to tell him, Gary, I might have a heart attack and kill us both. Um, but uh, please feel safe while I'm driving you. I'm taking him to the airport. He's about to go home, and I'm thinking, if I just can make it to the airport, I'll go from the airport straight to the hotel, uh, straight to it's not the hotel, the hospital, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 I'll, I'll check myself in. And man, I'm feeling so bad, and I'm thinking, I, my hands are so blue. They're getting bluer and bluer and bluer. And I try to like, like warm them up and, and get them to function. I keep rubbing them against my body and against my you know, legs as I'm driving. And they're getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm thinking, I'm having a heart attack. I am dying. I am killing the man of God from London. We're all going to die. I'm driving him to the airport. He gets off. Man, I am speeding. I am driving worse than your intern did today when he was driving me. I am speeding. We beat Pastor Jurgen, and that's all that counts, and uh, to Cheesecake Factory. 
Man, you can't beat a preacher who preached twice to Cheesecake Factory on a Sunday. There's no way you're going to beat us. And uh, I'm rushing to the hospital, and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a drama queen. So, so I run into the hospital. I actually drive straight into where the ambulance are parked, and I park across two parking lots. So I'm blocking two ambulances from saving real lives if something would happen. And I'm getting in there. I'm running straight into to the emergency room, and I'm screaming, I'm having a heart attack! And the model, I mean, the nurses come running and, and they're, 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 they're taking me into this room. And, and I said, look at my hands. I, there's no blood circulation. I'm shutting down. I'm literally dead. I'm almost dead. Help me. I'm too young to die. They started checking me out. They do EKGs and they take the blood pressure and say, we can't, we don't understand. There's nothing wrong with you. Man, your heart is perfect. Your blood pressure is perfect. Your pulse is great. And I go, look at my hands. I'm shutting down. There's no circulation. And they go, yeah, we see that. It's really weird. We can't figure that out. And I said, me neither. Just give me something quick. And they go, well, we got to figure out what's wrong with you. Clearly, your hands are not working. They're very blue. We got to go out and have a talk conference about it. We got to go out and talk about it. Just, just stay here. I'm laying there. I'm thinking I'm seeing angels. I'm, I'm going through my sins. There are too many. I don't get too far. And uh, I'm thinking I got to use the restroom because, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven soon or not. But if I'm going to stay here for another minute or two, I got to use the restroom first. So I go to the restroom and I do what mama taught me how to do when I'm done at the restroom. I, I wash my hands and I see all this blue stuff come out and coming down in the sink. And I'm looking at my hands and they're clean. And I just realized I... I bought a new pair of blue jeans and they just, when I kept rubbing my hands to get them started, they just rubbed my, my, my hands got bluer and bluer from the jeans. Man, I was so embarrassing. I wasn't dying. I was fine. And I was so, here's the deal. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I, here's the truth. I opened the window at the hospital and climbed out and I ran off and I've never been back at that hospital again. I don't care if I'm going to die or not. I am never going to that hospital again. See, that's what fear does. Fear, fear paralyzes you by selling you a lie. Man, I just bought into that lie. My heart is, uh, my, I have a pro problem with my heart again. I am about to die again. I, I, the devil kept preaching at me, there's something wrong with your heart. And I bought into it, so I got paralyzed. Fear will paralyze you. Devil can't beat me. He can't touch my heart. But he can project a lot of fear into me. So I start believing in the fear. So I act upon the fear. But I learned if I can win the fight before the fight, the fight against the fear, my heart will take care of itself because it belongs to my creator. See, you got to understand what fight to fight there's a fight before the fight and if you win the fight before the fight which is the fight against fear the devil can't touch you no one can stop you David he won the fight before the fight that's why he won the real fight the second thing about fear is fear made everybody fantasize about what could happen Oh, the brothers, they were standing up there. They were talking to each other. Oh, David's brother say, hey, you feel like going down and taking him on? No, man. You see that thing he's carrying, man? He, man, he can make sushi of me. He's just going to slice me up like that. There's no way I'm going to go down there. The other brother says, man, no, I'm, I'm not going to go down. Man, can you imagine those big hands? It's not hands big as 
toilet slits, you know, like there's no way we gotta talk to him, touch him, and he's big, he's muscular, man. He's, I'm not gonna go down. And he started fantasizing about what could happen. I'm sure the soldiers who were standing there every day listening to him started to think, what if I, okay, here, have you ever had these crazy thoughts? I love football. Oh, you call it soccer. We call it football because it's played with the feet, but that's a different thing. Well, well, you, you call it football. You use your hands. We call it football. We co- play with our feet. Different thing, culture thing. Okay, don't turn on me, man. You got hostile in here. Don't get cold on me, man. Have you ever seen a game and you think, what if they threw me in? Last five minutes. I run up there. I'll, I'll take a run. I'll get the ball. I score the goal. I become the hero. You ever thought of that? Really? No? Me, Jurgen? That's us? Man, we wish. That's what we think about. Being a game changer. Yes. And you know, when they were standing there, David's brothers, looking at Goliath, I'm sure they started to think about what could happen if I went down there. If I just took a step out and walked down there, what could happen? See, fear will get us fantasizing about what could happen. Let me tell you a story. Fear is a fiction movie in your head that is not real. Fear will play a fiction movie in your head. I love movies. I love them. I think in movies. My head works in pictures and images and movies. It's a, I have a lot of combinations, a lot of letters stuck together that would describe how my mind works. But it works in, 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 in images. In, I, I see things. I, 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 I imagine things. I fantasize things. That's how my mind works, how I create. But, you know, fear is a fiction movie that plays out in our head that is not real. Uh, our youngest daughter, Angelina, I was telling the, the morning crowd at, at, at the North Campus, she was born with a big heart problem. When she was born, she was born four weeks early. And we, we, we just found out when she was five days old that she had no wall in her heart. She was born without a heart. And they told us she's most likely going to have Down syndrome. And we had to wait for a week for the test to come back. And we were very scared because we had lost a, a child very late in the pregnancy just a year earlier. And we were still healing from that. And now we had our daughter. She looked great. And, and we, she was just five days old. And, and they did an, an ultrasound on her heart. And, and they said, she has no wall in her heart. Uh, the blood is going everywhere. And uh, we're not sure how we're going to fix that. And, uh, you know, they were, they, they were just trying to find out how to do that. And they decided we're going to have to operate on her. So when she was four months old, she had to go through an eight-hour-long open-heart surgery. Her heart was less than an inch. It was about this big, and they were going to build a new wall inside of her. And I remember that morning when we had to take her. Uh, you know, we're staying at the hospital. We had to take her to surgery very early that morning. We had to bathe her with a special soap and get her ready. We had to clothe her in a special in a special clothes that the hospital gave us. And we took her to where they were going to put her to sleep to operate on her. And there's like a little thing. You go into a room, which is like a halfway room into the surgery hall, where you hand her over to the nurses. And when we were standing there, we had to say goodbye to her. Because it was a good chance. It was, it, there was a chance that she would not survive that operation, that surgery. And we're standing there. I'm holding her. We're praying over her. We believe in God that she's going to pull through, that she's going to live. This eight-hour-long surgery, they're going to cut her chest open. They're going to saw, they're going to break the ribs and, and open the chest and try to operate on her little heart. She was just tiny. 
And we pray for her. We, we speak out God's promises over her. And then we give her to the nurse and she takes her in. And the doctor tells us, you guys, you can't stay here. You got to go downtown. Just try to walk around. Go, have, go shop. Go see a movie. Go do something. Just try to, try to keep your thoughts occupied. I'm like, how can, you keep your thought, how can you keep your thoughts occupied on anything when your daughter is on the stretch getting her whole chest cut open? And he said, it will be about eight hours and then we will call you. And when we call you, we will tell you to come down here so we can tell you the result of the operation, the result of the surgery. And we're waiting. I'm waiting like five, six hours. They said between six and eight hours. At six hours, I'm telling my wife, babe, this is not good. They haven't called yet. My wife is so strong in faith. She's much better than I am. And she says, Andreas, just be calm. Just believe God. They said between six and eight hours. He goes to seven hours. And I said, babe, something is wrong. They should have called. Man, we can't just walk and let's go back to the hospital. And she goes, no, we could not come back before they call us. And we, we, we're walking, we're walking. What happens is I'm listening to a podcast and the preacher of that podcast is the devil. And he starts to preach to me. Well, they should have called. Something is wrong. Why didn't they call? What's going on? What's going on with your daughter? You should have been with your daughter. How can you walk around and you try to look at clothes while your daughter is on the operating table, on the surgery table? And I'm listening to this podcast and it's driving me crazy. And then the phone rings. And it's this, uh, the doctor. And he says, Mr. Nilsson, would you and your wife please come to the hospital? And I said, how did he go? And he said, I, I won't tell you. I want you to come down here. I want to talk to you here. And I'm thinking, man, if that would have been any good results, they would have just told me. If he would have had good news, he would have told me. Now that movie is playing in my head. I'm seeing like I've seen in movie. I'm seeing that room with the doctors, with the nurses. I'm seeing, you know, crisis team trying to handling us. I'm seeing they want us there. They want to give us the news when we are there so we don't break down. They want us close. They want to be able to control and handle us. So I'm telling baby, that is not good. If it would have been good news, they would have just told us and we could have celebrated. We come running. I'm sure something is wrong. This is not good. I don't feel good about it. It. And we, we're running in there and I'm grabbing the doctor. I have the habit, I have a habit of grabbing doctors. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm grabbing the doctor and I say, tell me the truth. I was about to punch his lights out. I am certain that my daughter does not live. I was certain. I had no evidence of that. I had no indications of that. I've just listened. To, I've, all I did was listen to the devil's podcast. All I did was give in to the fight before the fight. So I looked the doctor in the eyes and I said, tell me the truth. And he says, we couldn't be more happy with our surgery. Your daughter is perfect. We were able to build a new wall in Gore-Tex. We, were, we couldn't be more happy with her surgery. She's going to be fine. We've been able to fix her heart. She's going to have a great heart. And I'm thinking, man, what's going on? I feel so stupid. I am a faith preacher. I pray for people. I have seen legs grow out. I've seen blind eyes open. I have seen deaf people here again. I have seen miracles that you can only dream of. I've seen God do it all. And he comes to my daughter and I give into the devil's podcast trying to preach to me. He projects the fear. See, that's what fear does. Fear will make you fantasize about what could be real even though you have no evidence of it being real man you just start to fantasize that and you think i don't i don't know if my husband is faithful well why do you say that i don't know i just have this 
feeling. Ladies, feel that. My girlfriend is unfaithful. How do you know that? I just know that. You start listening to yourself. Start listening to your own preaching. Start listening to your own thoughts. All of a sudden, you start acting on something that started like off with a little lie. Because you've given in to the fight before the real fight. The fight is not whether she's unfaithful or not because she's not. The fight is, are you ready to be man enough to stand up for your marriage and, and lead it and protect it and guide it and own it? But instead of the real fight, you're giving in to the wrong fight. See, fear will paralyze you. You know, when I grew up, I'll tell, I got four minutes, I'll tell you something. When I grew up, my dad left us pretty early. Before he left us, Christmas Day when I was 12, there was a lot of violence in my home. There was a lot of chaos in my home. And sometimes when I was out playing, I had two, two brothers, two sisters, I kind of looked after them all. You get the keyboard play to come up, please. I, uh, sometimes I was at a friend's house. The phone would ring. And it would be my sister, my brother, or someone saying, Andreas, would you come home? Or it would be my mother saying, Andreas, can you come home? Can you come home? It's chaos at home. And I tried to get home. Or the phone rang, and it was one of my brothers, sisters, something, at my father's house. He'd been drunk. I said, Andreas, can you come and get me? It'd be my little sister. Something happened. I started to develop this thing for phones. Every time the phone rings, my blood turned to ice. What's wrong? See, after things got better with my dad, he got saved again, got rehabilitated, got back with God. Everything's great in my family. Every, all the relationship worked great. Still today, if I'm caught off guard hearing a phone, I'll freeze. 25 years later, I freeze because for a second, fear will paralyze me until I catch up with myself and remind myself that the victory is already won. That is a lie trying to project fear into my life. See, that's what fear does. I believe there's people in this room with great potential, but you're not living that potential because you're not ready. You haven't taken the fight against fear. You're bowing down to your Goliath. But in matter of fact, if you just won over your fear, you had no problem beating that Goliath. You're, you're drawing back from the purpose of your life. You're drawing back from the breakthrough that God has for you because you have to go through a Goliath, but you believe that you cannot beat him. And the fear that your Goliath is projecting towards you causes you to stand back and say, it is unbeatable. It is impossible. See, but when you realize that if you engage in the real fight, the fight that matters, the fight against fear, there is no devil in hell. There is no Goliath. There is nothing anybody can do to you that can hold you back from the purposes and promises of God. Because he says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And he says the same power who rose Christ from the dead is mightily at work in your life. And if you believe that, and if you start acting on that, ain't nothing the devil can do to hold you back. So what's holding you back? What fear has been preaching in your life? Maybe you're in a company and you heard rumors that they're going to lay people off. 
Maybe you're, you're coming out of a relationship. That's your fifth relationship. You're trying to make it work, but they just seem, not seem to work. The devil is preaching to you saying you're never going to be able to have a great relationship. See, you will. But what could hinder you is your fear of not having a good relationship. Because God is able to help you to have a great relationship if you're willing to overcome the fear of failing another relationship. See, what would you do if you were not afraid to give it everything you have? I love what God says to Joshua. He tells him, give it everything you have, heart and soul, and I won't leave you, and I won't give up on you. What would you give everything you got? What would you give your heart and soul to if you knew that God was with you? If you knew that when you pick up your stone and start swinging them, it doesn't matter what Goliath is in your, Goliath is in your way, it will come down. What battles would you start engaging if you knew there's only one outcome and that it is me ending up as the victorious and it's the Goliath coming down? If you knew that, what would you do? See, there's so much of God's people. I believe there's people in this church who are called to this church to make a difference. I believe there's smart minds in this crowd here tonight. And God has given you ideas that could finance the kingdom. In, in innovations, thoughts. But you're saying, who am I to be great? Who am I to think big thoughts? No one in my family has done great things. My dad didn't do great things. My mom didn't do great things. My uncle didn't do great things. And you preach yourself down instead of let the promises of God lift yourself up. I believe God had put people in this room tonight that is going to make a way for this church to go forward into everything God has called it to be. But you have to beat your Goliath. You have to beat your fear. Come on, let's stand up together. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, pray tonight. Marion Williamson, she wrote a poem. She wrote a speech that Nelson Mandela used. Some people think it's Nelson's word, but it's actually a lady called Marion Wilson who, who wrote him. You know, I was reading this as we started a church in Stockholm. People kept telling me, don't start a church in Stockholm. It's a graveyard for church planting. There's no, no one goes to church in Stockholm. No one goes to, 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 comes to church in Stockholm. Don't start a church there. Matter of fact, one church a week closed down in Sweden. Matter of fact, 200 people a day leave church in Sweden. That's a fact. I kept reading this poem and it fed my faith. This speech, it says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people will not feel insecure around you. We're all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us, all of us. It is not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. As we liberate, are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Look what happened. Do you know what happened after David beat Goliath? 
after David beat Goliath, it says that the Israel army charged the Philistines, charged after them, ran them down, killed them, and overtook them. See, what happened was one man's faith set a whole nation free from fear. It only took the faith of one man to liberate the whole nation from fear. It only is going to take one woman, one man, to set your crowd free, free from fear, to set your connector free from fear, to set your class free from fear, your workplace. Who's going to be that person? Are you going to be that person? Are you going to be that David? Are you going to be the one who give other permission to live free from fear? Are you going to be the one to stand up and say, hey, this stops with me. This trash talk, these lies, that, this fear, these images playing out in people's heads, that's going to stop with me. I'm going to draw a line and I'm going to claim the word of God. I'm going to stand on the promises of God. He was faithful when I took on the lion. He was faithful when I took on the bear. He was faithful when I stood up against the wolves. And he's going to be faithful when I stand up against my Goliath. See, the fight is not against Goliath. It's against the fear of losing. Come on, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray. I want to pray for those of you here tonight. I say, Andres, this is a word for me. I'm stuck. I'm like Israel's people looking at an obstacle I can't get around, I can't get past. And you don't know how to get past it. Well, I got a word for you here. If you break up with fear, God will conquer Goliath for you. He might use you. He might involve you, but he's going to take responsibility over conquering the Goliath that is hindering your way. But you're going to have to make a decision to surrender your fear to God. Give him your fear. Break up with fear. Break up with fear. Break up with whatever holds you back.